the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Well, welcome back as we head into Hour 3 and finish uh, the show for the week. It is a delight to have back in studio uh, Rabbi Pinchas Alush, A-L-L-O-U-C-H-E. He is the head rabbi at Congregation Beth Tefillah in Scottsdale on Shea Boulevard. All are always welcome, as he says, religious or not, Jewish or not. He is the host of the Rabbi Alush podcast, heard on Apple Podcasts, uh, three to five minutes every week that can change your life. Welcome back to the studio, Rabbi. Thank you. It's a delight to be back. You were on the road last week, so we missed you. Anywhere interesting? I actually know where you were. How was, <laughs> how was your trip? <laughs> it, was, it was just sublime. I was in a holy land, and I was back to the heart of it all, to Jerusalem, and um, we were celebrating a, a special celebration there, too. So, so it was just a delight. A lot of, lot of Israel in the news lately, of course, with the problems coming in and out of Janine. How affected is the rest of the population there by this? I mean, it's such a small country. Do you want to give the audience maybe a sense, the audience that hasn't been there, how sense, a sense of how small it is, actually? Yes. I mean, it's the size of New Jersey. That's what they say. That's how big the country is uh, physically, geographically. And you're right. I mean, there is so much going on, especially when it comes to the conflict with the Palestinians. And yes, last week, there was uh, an operation that the IDF launched against terrorism that was uh, stemming from this village called Janine. Uh, It's quite astounding because after the operation, they revealed that they found weapons in almost every single apartment and basement that they entered, which showed indeed that this was a place filled with terrorism and just uh, evil people. And uh, hopefully they were successful, if not in eradicating it, then at least in uh, controlling it for the meantime. One of the things that's so unpleasant to talk about in these situations, but the media has long been uh, uh, awful about this, is the portrayal of you know, these fights, these conflicts, when a 17-year-old terrorist is unfortunately, well, a 17-year-old is unfortunately killed who happens to be a terrorist, it gets reported at the BBC and throughout a lot of the major media as Israel is killing children. And then you have to find and do a little bit of searching here and there on social media to see what the picture of this person is, who is 17 years old in full military regalia, you know, posting pictures of himself with pictures of himself with rifles and grenades and all kinds of terrorist statements on their own social media. It's hardly as if we're killing children here. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I think Benjamin Netanyahu, the prime minister of Israel, put it best when he said that they use civilians to protect their weapons. We use weapons to protect our civilians. Correct. And uh, it's it's just unfortunate. But their only goal is to murder. Mm -hmm. Our only goal is to defend ourselves. Thus the name, the Israeli Defense Forces. Uh, unfortunately, I'm, I'm, uh, I don't see that the future is so bright because their evil intention is uh, fueling the fire of hatred and violence. 
and uh, there's almost no stopping it. But it would behoove us to remind ourselves also of what Golda Meir, the prime minister in the 70s of Israel, said that when Israel, when sorry, when the Palestinians will put down their weapons, there will be peace. When Israel will put down their weapons, there will be a genocide. Yeah. So we have to continue to defend ourselves and hopefully with the least amount of casualties. And you have family in the Israeli Defense Forces, yes? I do. I have a son mm-hmm. who left the comforts of his home here in Arizona mm-hmm. to go join his brothers and sisters in the IDF. He wasn't able to tell me. They're not allowed to yeah. say which operation they're, uh, they were, they were uh, involved with. But I have a strong feeling that he was in Janine too. Mm, interesting. And uh, he's a paratrooper. He's a sniper in the paratrooper uh, unit. And we, we really are worried for him, worried for anyone in harm's way. It should not be the case. But what can we do? We have evil people in this world. Well, we pray for his safety and success at Amen. the same time. I sometimes try and remind people about the, the smallness of that state. Um, if you were to excise or remove what is referred to as the West Bank or Judea and Samaria, particularly Samaria, at the at the most vulnerable point, you could literally run across Israel in about an hour. It's about nine miles wide. You yeah. could. Yes, that's another way of putting it. That, that's correct. It's just so small. Yeah. So small. I remember, you know, in a different front, I remember speaking the, to the mayor of Steyrot, mm-hmm. which is an Israeli village right by the border of Gaza, who was telling me that in theory, and it is much shorter for him to walk to Gaza to get his coffee in the morning right. than to his local coffee shop. Right. But that's how close and how intertwined everything is. Yeah. And uh, uh, But w- w- I will say, though, that it's quite interesting. I was there last week, as you mentioned, uh, that although everyone, of course, feels yeah. though that tension sure. and has family members or at least friends that are involved in these operations to defend civilians and defend the state of Israel and defend, defend morality altogether. Uh, the Israeli people are so resilient, mm-hmm. and you don't quite feel any type of despair or despondency in the streets of Israel, quite the opposite. They're resilient, they're optimistic, they're strong, they're full of life. And it's something to, to learn from. Yeah, it's an interesting psyche that one wonders if one could bear if it didn't come with it a very strong religious uh, a, a center or background or, you know, internal internal combustion engine for the people of Israel. I remember when there was a spate of um, – a spate, a passel would be the better word – of uh, bus bombings circa 2002 and three, maybe it was mm-hmm. – um, I remember a column George Will, the columnist George Will wrote when there was this talk of Israel needs to uh, take risks for peace, and he he wrote, uh, for the average Israeli, getting on a bus is taking a risk for peace. Hmm. And you wonder uh, you wonder what it does to a psyche of a people unless you go there and you see this very, as you say, resolute or resilient uh, people that um, that I don't know how anyone else could do it if there weren't, as I say, an underlying basis of uh, religious uh, calm uh, or support uh, support beam. That's right. And I think the, the psychology of it yeah. also is that when people face death, they have two choices. One choice is to be sucked by death and to die a little bit, to fall into depression, agony, and, and despair. Yeah. 
the other choice, which is really the choice that I believe the people of Israel are taking, and that is to live more. Yeah. Because we know that life is so vulnerable that any, any moment now we can be gone. And yeah. therefore, let us live to our fullest potential. That's what they're doing. You know, we see it, you see it not just in the streets, you see it in the malls. The malls are packed, yeah. the restaurants are packed. Yeah. People are just living fully. The happiness is tangible. The, the joy of, in, on children's faces is, is really palpable. And, and it's really commendable. And it, the, I, I, take it, I take a lot in, into my personal life from just watching those people of Israel responding to deaths with so much life. During particularly COVID, uh, a lot of us were uh, quoting from a 1940s essay by a theologian, uh, Christian theologian, C.S. Lewis, who gave a speech to the students of Oxford of how to live in the age of an atomic bomb. If you haven't seen it, I'm happy to send it to you. And effectively, what he talks about is how we should not live in constant fear and constant panic of death, for we all knew, we always knew that that was our destiny. But should a disease come or a bomb come, you can see why COVID was analogous here, he writes, tells the students, let it find us doing positive things in the world. Let it find us reading to our children. Let it find us playing darts in a pub. Let it find us doing the things of life, not the things of panic and cowering. Mm-hmm. Yes. You know, you remind me of a great Jewish sage, Rabbi Yisrael Kagan of the early 1900s. No one has ever said, Seth, you remind me of a great Jewish sage. <laughs> well, Did there you, you go. Make sure you get there. that, David. For the, We're going to need that later at some point. Yes. <laughs> go on. <laughs> not just any. This is one of the greatest. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, Rabbi Yisrael Kagan, also known as the Chafetz Chaim, he would say, and I think we've mentioned this, but he would say life is like right, uh, like a postcard, mm-hmm. where at the beginning we think that we have all the space in the world, but then we realize that we have no space, so we try to squeeze in as much as possible. And in a way, it's true that when we face death, we realize, gosh, it's true, there is no time. Yeah. So let us indeed squeeze as many letters, as much life as possible, yeah. into that which we have left, which we exactly do not know how much that is. Perfect. Let me turn to your last two podcasts uh, when we come back. Uh, The Secret to Never Failing, who wouldn't want to hear about that? And The Journey is the Destination, which relates to this week's uh, portion of the Bible or Torah. Rabbi Pinchas Alush is my guest, A-L-L-O-U-C-H-E, host of the Rabbi Alush podcast on Apple Podcasts. He and I will be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Liebson Show. Rabbi Pinchas Alush is my guest. You like that uh, little intro music? <laughs> yes. We had that as a surprise for you. Oh, thank you. That's just wonderful. That's Arlo Guthrie, <laughs> who uh, many people know from Alice's Restaurant and Good Morning America, How Are Ya? But uh, that's an old Hebrew, um, I guess you would call it an old Hebrew folk song. It is. It is. A lot of different we'll interpretations. Of of it. Yeah, yes. Yeah. Go out with it too, David, if you don't mind. It's it's a fun song. Rabbi Pinchas Alush is my guest. He is the head rabbi at Congregation Beth Tefillah, T-E-F-I-L-L-A-H, on Shea Boulevard. All are welcome. Host of the Rabbi Alush podcast. The Secret to Never Failing is the podcast of uh, two weeks ago. Tell us what we were get what the secret is, Rabbi. You start with a story about uh, a young a young boy looking up in a tree and being able to climb it when every other friend of his was either afraid to or unable to. Right, uh, th- that's true. So the secret to never failing is to be connected above, 
But it is indeed a story about a young boy who was playing with his friends this game of who can reach the point of the tree, uh, the highest point of the tree. And this young boy won. And when his mother asked him, how did you win? He said that I paid attention that when my friends were climbing, they were looking down. And as soon as they looked down, they became afraid and they quit. I said to myself that when I will climb the tree, I will never look, up, look down. I'll always look up. And that's what I did. Thus, I won. And his mother then jumped on this teachable moment and said to her son, well, that's a lesson for life. If you never look down and you always look up, if you're always connected above, you won't be able to fall below. And that is indeed the secret to never failing. We have to understand that at the end of the day, there is a master to this universe. There is a king to this palace, so to speak. And that is God. And if we put our trust in him, then nothing, no storm in this world will be able to uh, um, destroy us. Maybe shake us up a little bit, but not destroy us. You know, it seems there's an additional life lesson uh, here, or an attendant one anyway, that at any decision point or crossroads that may come to adult decisions, where it's not just simply a game of, of, of climbing with your friends as a, young, as a young child, we face a lot of decisions wondering whether we should take them or not, make them or not, choose which road to go or not. And it seems to me the lesson that you would draw similarly here would be uh, not just looking up, but maybe the notion of looking at what the positive could be and never and, and, and putting that in front of all the reasons not to do it, what the negatives could be. You know, it's a balance, obviously. One wants to be prudent about these things, but you want to look about what you can achieve, not how you can fail. I would think that would be an attendant message here. That's right. Yes, yes. You know, it's interesting because— It's like the spies, kind of, what we talked about a couple of weeks ago. Very good. Yeah. Very good. Exactly. And it's interesting because we live in a generation, if you think about this, that looks down all the time. We used to live in a generation 20 years ago, before phones, before cell phones— that looked straight towards the sceneries that surrounded us. Now we look down towards our phones. Yeah. And it is time to restore this look heavenward that we so need in order to indeed survive the storms of life. You know, I think that that's also one of the great differences, if you think about it, between animals, most animals, 99% of animals, and human beings, we have the ability to look up. Yeah. Animals don't. Interesting. Say something more on that. Because, yes. Yeah. We ha okay, go ahead. A and in a way, I think this Instinct is Instinct versus reason kind of thing? Th that's right. Okay. And this is what enables us to overcome animalistic in instincts mm -hmm. and, and inclination. Mm -hmm. The mere fact that we can look up enables us indeed to be a little more divine mm -hmm. than animals, to be a little more in control than animals, and to, yes, be a little more um, uh, moral and ethical than animals. That is the main difference between animals and human beings, and in a way it's a difference that we ought to capitalize on day in and day out. I think it's important in society, too, to understand that distinction between animal. Well, really, it's a tripartite distinction, isn't it? That there's, there's a difference between humans and God as there is between humans and animals. This is a country that was really founded on that notion. I like to talk about this a lot. If you read our Declaration of Independence, that all men are created equal and endowed by their creator with certain inalienable rights, the point being that we are, as humans, all equally human. That means we're all equally below God, but above animals, and we don't treat 
by being equal, humans as animals, which is unfortunately uh, a, a, a rough and, and, and terrible start that part, parts of our country didn't, didn't get the lesson on until too much later. <laughs> That's right. I mean, there's a clear distinction between the two. And uh, in a way, we are in charge of animals, but just like people that are in charge of others, we have to be higher than them, uh, maybe morally, yeah. ethically. And uh, sometimes we just don't see yeah. the difference between animals and human beings, unfortunately, or as they say, creatures on four legs and creatures on two legs. Yeah, right. And uh, what makes us, again, one of the things that make us uh, human beings yeah. uh, is that ability to look up, yeah. to be connected to the divine, and uh, to exercise self-control just because God is telling us, don't do this. Right. We can understand we are lower than God, or is it lower than the angel? A little lower than the angels? Uh, I can't remember the exact biblical phraseology of this, but but animals can't understand that. Right. They don't, they don't have the ability to do that. No, they're almost robotic in mm-hmm. that sense. Mm-hmm. They have... Uh, they are trainable guide. to a master and designed to be trainable to a master in a way human beings were not. Right, but not most of them are not trainable. Okay. Right. Let's look at the jungle. Oh, okay. okay. So, so some yes. I mean, you know, the, the pets domesticated, are. Right. Yes, but m- most animals are not trainable, and that's because their heart controls them, as the Talmud says. Okay. They are controlled by their impulses, by their inclinations, and they have no ability whatsoever to to be in control of them. Human beings do. And we are expected to be in control of our impulses and of our inclinations. There is a God that is above us that instructs us to behave ethically, to behave morally. That God instructs us to do that because he believes that we can. We are able to control those inclinations that are unethical and immoral. And this is one of the great differences between human beings and animals indeed. An observant Jewish person will pray to God from the moment he opens his eyes in the morning to every time he takes a sip of water or begins to take a sip of water or eat a bite of food. Um, Part of that, I take it, of course, is not only because it's mandated biblically, but the rationale behind some of this, I take it, you always correct me where I'm wrong, is to control the animal impulse of just being uh, a carnivore or, you know, just a, a, a beast. Right. And in the words of one of the great Jewish philosophers and mystics, Rabbi Shnel Zaman of Liadi, who says that in each and every one of us, there is what he calls an animal soul sure. and a godly soul. The animal soul wants to act animalistically. The godly soul wants to act in a godly way. They speak to us all day long. It starts in the morning when we wake up. Right. The animal soul says, go back to sleep. Right. The godly <laughs> soul says, no, you have a purpose to fulfill. Yeah. Wake up. And those souls, again, speak to us again and again. And, and our ability to lead divine lives depends on our ability to listen first and foremost to our godly soul within. Rabbi Pinchas Alush is my guest. When we come back, we'll talk about the portion of the week, which is kind of actually not unrelated to what we were just Well, nothing is unrelated to what we talk about. Rabbi Pinchas Alush, host of the Rabbi Alush podcast. He and I will be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Liebson Show. Rabbi Pinchas Alush is my guest, A-L-L-O-U-C-H-E. He is the host of the Rabbi Alush podcast. You can get it on Apple Podcasts. You can follow him on Facebook. You can attend his congregation. It's on Shea Boulevard, Congregation Beth Tefillah, T-E-F, Tefillah, I-L-L-A-H, House of Prayer. 
right? That's right. Yeah. Uh, Rabbi, um, the portion this week, well, <laughs> it's called Pinchas, Pinchas, which is your first name. There's no Torah portion called Seth, so I'm, <laughs> I'm in awe and admiration of you. Uh, it's in Numbers. Uh, and your podcast this week is about that, called The Journey is the Destination. What would you like our audience to know from this? Well, first, that it is my, the credit goes to my parents. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> they named, the, named me after this week's portion, indeed. Not the other but, way around. Uh, okay. <laughs> that's right. right. Uh, the, <laughs> yeah, but The Journey is the Destination really speaks to this idea that we must be able to open up our eyes to the blessings within the journey even though we might not reach any destination. This is based really on a piece of advice that I received from my beloved mentor and rabbi, uh, Dean Evan Israel Steinsatz of Blessed Memory. He was coined by the Time magazine as a once-in-millennium scholar. So he was a wise man. But I once came to complain to him that I worked so hard on this project and nothing came of it. And he said to me, well, you weren't appointed to reap the fruits of your labor. Rather, you were just appointed to labor. Let other people reap those fruits. And that opened up my eyes because, indeed, sometimes we want to be gratified immediately. That's the type of generation we live in, instant gratification. And yet the rabbi reminded me that, no, the journey itself is a blessing. The journey itself has its own treasures. Focus on that, and you'll come to appreciate not just the destination, but the blessings within the journey also. The effort that an individual puts into something, in other words, is not for them, or at least the result is not for them. It's for others. Uh, It's for others to appreciate. And this takes you into a lot of different directions, of course. I'm sure you've had the experience in your life, Rabbi, where someone, um, maybe you didn't even know them, uh, comes up to you uh, and says, uh, something about something you once said, maybe you don't even remember having said it, that really moved them or may have changed their life or really gave them something to think about. In other words, when you do something, and ideally it would be a positive thing, it's it's often like a pebble in a, in a still pond with ripples you have no control over, nor do you know where they end. I, I, I'm sure you've had that experience, but that is the lesson for us to keep in mind for all of us, I would assume. That's correct, yes, and uh, I love that analogy or that metaphor of the pebble uh, because it does create these ripples. I've had those experiences indeed, but um, it reminds us also, every single one of us, that the good that we do is not for ourselves. Mm-hmm. It's for others, right. and uh, if, we can, if we can connect to this idea, I think we'll, we'll eliminate much frustration, we'll eliminate much ego, and most importantly— will become channels of the divine that flows through through us and through yeah our yeah right the ego part is interesting when you think about what you're doing as it being done for other people it, that's an automatic tamper damp, damper on ego but it's also a good way to think about how you might integrate you know a lot of people don't know if they're charitable enough or want to be more charitable it's a good way to think about, you know, your your daily work, your daily efforts can be thought of as charity, too, if you constantly have this notion in mind, couldn't they, Rabbi, that you're, what you're doing is not for you, but for others. That's correct, yes. And therefore, it's also not dependent on uh, you. What I mean to say is that, and we may have mentioned this before, but one of those expressions that really bother me and that we hear all the time is that expression that is connected to charity when people say that they want to give back. Uh-huh. 
Why can't you just give? Right. Are you? Is it dependent on how much you receive? Right. Your giving is dependent on that. Yes. That, that's the question that I often pose myself when I hear that expression. Well, giving should be for the sake of giving alone, mm-hmm. whether I received something or did not, mm-hmm. whether I will receive something, whether it's a compliment or a favor back. It does not matter. Giving must be done just for the sake of giving. I love it. Let me pick up on that and relate it to the portion of the week because we have a really an example in sharp relief of someone who maybe didn't get to see the fruit of his 40 years of labor. Rabbi Pinchas Salush is my guest. He is the head rabbi at Congregation Beth Tefillah on Shea Boulevard, T-E-F-I-L-L-A-H. And all are welcome, Jewish, non-Jewish, religious, not religious. He is the host of the Rabbi Alush podcast. His last name is A-L-L-O-U-C-H-E. His first name is Pinkas, which is the portion of the week this week. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Leibson Show. Rabbi Pinkas Alush has been our guest this hour. Um, the journey is the destination. This comes to us, as I was saying in the uh, right before break, Rabbi, with a uh, a very a very serious example uh, in Moses, who led the people through forty years in the desert, but didn't get the destination one. Didn't get the golden ticket, as they might say in Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. Something about that, yes. That's right, and it's it's really heartbreaking to read about Moses, the most devoted leader of all times who does not see the fruits of his own labor. Right. He led the Jewish people through thick and thin. The, the journey of uh, the Jewish people in the desert was just, just odious, to say the least. And here, finally, he comes to the promised land, and God says, no, you can't enter it. But what's astounding is that Moses not only accepts this, but he continues to lead them until his very last breath with the same devotion and enthusiasm as he did before, which reminds us how much, it, how much, how important it is indeed to, again, focus on the journey because the journey itself sometimes is the destination. This uh, portion is found in Numbers, roughly Numbers 25, 10 to 31. What struck me in something you just said there when, when I was rereading it before you came, Rabbi, is the Torah or the Bible, it just it moves very quickly between God telling Moses he's not going in and Moses moving right on to, the, to okay, well, let's find someone. It, 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 there was no argument, it seemed like, unless I missed it. it. It was an immediate acceptance that, okay, well, let's find a new guy or let's find a new leader. You almost wanted a struggle or at least a... A, a defense case. <laughs> he made none. Right. It's as I read it. Right. It's interesting the way he works. Is that the struggle did come thereafter? Okay. In the book of Deuteronomy, we'll see. That All right. He does, so we're, okay. He right. does complain. Foreshadowing here. Okay. Yes. All right. But what it's what is amazing is that he covers his base just in case. Oh, okay. And that's when he says to God, "Please find a different leader." But I, I will say that Moses understands also that God is the ultimate uh, decision maker. And if he had decided that, that he might be able to protest now or later, but he will accept his decision regardless of, of the outcome. 
And uh, it is also another lesson one can learn. You know, sometimes we hope to achieve certain goals and we don't achieve them. We have to realize that God had different intentions in mind for us. And sometimes we're able to see the blessing in those intentions. Sometimes we're not. Mm -hmm. But at the end of the day, if we are servants of God, if we are channels of God, as we said before, then we must accept these decisions regardless. It seems that the majority and the clearest statement of the reasons he wasn't allowed to go into the land of milk and honey had to do with the incident of the water and the rock. Although there's also a little bit of a, it seems to me in some of my reading on this, What's the word I'm looking for? Machloket? What does yes. machloket mean? Controversy? There's, right. there's some alternate opinions on this. Um, first of all, what was it about the water and the rock? Was it his use of the word we, meaning he and Aaron, as opposed to God? Was it that he struck it with a rod rather than asked God to do it? And then there was this other dissenting opinion I saw too, Rabbi, that it also had something to do with the way he showed um, some kind of lack of will when the spies came back and he fell on his face. There was some opinion by some famous scholar in, in the past that said that he showed uh, too much weakness or too much, not enough resilience when the, when the 10 spies came back and said, we can't do this. There's something about him falling on his face, which also seems somewhere in the lore to be part of this. But what, 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 is, what is your lesson as to why he couldn't uh, enter the land ultimately? You're right. Yes, yes. So there are different commentaries. It's unclear as to exactly why he wasn't able to. Some say it is indeed because he hit the rock instead of speaking to it. Could God commanded to speak to the rock. Some said, like you said, because he demonstrated weakness instead of taking the lead when the spies came back with a negative report and infusing the Jewish nation with hope. Some say, like Maimonides, uh, that it was because he called the Jewish people just before he hit the rock. He called the Israelites rebels. Ah. Rebels. Mm. And how dare a leader speaks like that about the people that he is leading, regardless of what they may or may not be. Mm-hmm. A leader must be filled with hope and faith in the nation and love towards that nation. So there are multiple uh, explanations to this. But I would say that um, God, uh, we have to look at the bigger picture because God was preparing a leader of the younger generation Mm -hmm. for the younger generation. Every leader has his time. Moses' time was during the 40-year journey in the desert. Then there was a time for him to pass on the baton, so to speak, to a younger leader who can deal with the younger generation and its new problems and and uh, enigmas and issues. My audience, this audience, your audience, will know that I sometimes refer to a speech given by a former president who talks about the Moses generation versus the Joshua generation. Mm-hmm. And that's, that's what you're getting at. And the real lesson, perhaps, here in uh, Numbers 27 in this portion is what is required of a leader and what and what Moses said, spirits of all flesh, choose a person over the congregation who will go out before them and come in before them, who will lead them out and bring them in so that the congregation of the Lord will not be like sheep without a shepherd. There's a lot in that one sentence, isn't there? Yes, there is a lot. And if I may turn our attention to just one little word, yeah. which says it all, because he asks for God to find a man who has his a divine spirit in him. And the commentaries immediately point out that that must be the prerequisite to every leader, mm-hmm. whether it's a leader of people or a leader of a family or a leader of a relationship. 
And that is that we must be able to identify the unique spirit in everyone, understand that everyone comes from different backgrounds. A true leader is someone who knows how to empathize with the person where he or she is, to speak to them at their level, and from there to lift them up. That's what Moses was asking of God. Nice, Rabbi. And start by looking them in the eyes, right? That's right. Look at, we've talked about that. It's good to see you. It's good to have you back, Rabbi. Always a pleasure. Thanks Always for a pleasure. coming Thank in. You, Seth. From one desert to the other, huh? <laughs> Rabbi Pinchas Alush has been our guest. Rabbi Alush spells his last name A L L O U C H E. You can get his podcast at Apple Podcasts. Um, he's also on Facebook, and you can um, attend his synagogue on Shea Boulevard, Congregation Beth Tefillah, T E F I L L A H. I'll be right back with a closing thought. Folks, thinking about the economy when you have the stock market's volatility and people talking about a recession, you have non-transitory inflation, you have bank failures, you wonder where you can go to invest. Why Refi has an answer. You can invest with them. They have a portfolio with a high fixed rate of return that's not correlated to the stock market or the Federal Reserve. A portfolio where you'll know what each monthly statement will look like with no surprises. You can turn your monthly income on or off, compound it, whatever you choose. And there is no loss of principle if you need your money back at any time. Think of that freedom. There are no fees in this secure collateralized portfolio from Y-Refi, and they are headquartered here locally. You can visit them. I encourage you to. Their offices are on Scottsdale Road in the 101. I've been there. And I'll tell you that you will not – I can tell you you won't get a sales pitch, and no one's going to ask you to sign a thing. When you meet with the team at Y-Refi, you'll see why I trust and like them so much, and you can too. Y-Refi is a due diligence approved firm. You can earn up to a 10.25% rate of return. That's right, a 10.25% fixed rate of return. Check them out at investyrefi.com. That's invest, the letter Y, then refy.com, or give them a call at 888-YREFI-34, 888-YREFI-34. I was just thinking about some of the uh, things uh, Rabbi Elush was talking to us about when, when it comes to leadership and, and his whole message that uh, the journey is the destiny and um, that we do not have the right or we do not have or should not have in view the notion that uh, whatever we do may not be important because we don't see its immediate fruits ourselves. It just dawns on me. I was I do an annual on-air commencement. If you want to get this year's, it was you can get everything we do at our website. Mine was on, this year's was on May 5th. And I bring in uh, over the years, I change it with different quotes and insights of wisdom. And one of them that I used to have in my commencement is uh, is a statement from a, a philosopher that said, who said, uh, you may not think that what you do is important, but it is very important that you do it. And without getting too ethereal about it, it seems to me that's part and parcel of the message Rabbi Alush was trying to convey, too. And the story we also get— uh, from this week's biblical portion uh, from Moses, who is ultimately having put in so much work through the desert and the 40 years there, but not able to himself see the results of that work, or at least the ultimate results of that work in going into the promised land. It was for others. It was for others. And maybe the message to go into the weekend with is that whatever we do, whether it is work, whether it is volunteerism, whether it is recreate well, not recreation, whether it is work or volunteerism, that it is all charitable. 
that what we are doing is our charity. It is for something else that we may and someone else. And we may not see those results in our lifetime or immediately. But if we're rightly directed, others will and they'll appreciate them. And that's another way to think about charity, too. God bless you all. Thanks for staying with us uh, this hour, this week. David, appreciate you. Until Monday, I'm Seth Liebson. As I say, God bless and class dismissed. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.